I left the city, I've been browsing. Treading water that they drowning. I head on a swivel. Yeah. It's only really my surroundings. Welcome to episode 48 of the Smash Accept podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore DadFF. Guys, we have a fantastic show, a great guest lined up, but it's been a while, man. How have you guys been? John, you know, I see you got that sweet draft board back there. We're super excited again to announce that we have teamed up with DraftKits.co. That's .co, not .com. They got their best draft boards out there. I mean, they, they do all the Royer drafts, you know, all of my redrafts. My kids draft, you know, it's been in the background. They did this phenomenal uh, backdrop here for us. They've done all of my drafts over the last couple of years. Highly recommend them to anybody that hasn't. John, you got the board behind you. He sent it out to you. What do you think? Yeah, it's a pretty slick and he's got all kinds of options, customizable. You can throw different images in there. You could do one for your auction, one for your redraft. IDP, he's got it all. So uh, I'm pretty impressed with it. And so I had to throw it up there. But yeah, yeah. Mike, I mean, just it's been vacation season, so getting some rays, doing your thing, kind of chilling a little bit, but now gearing back up for Scott Fishbowl, gearing up for the pod here. So looking forward to this one. Love it. Mung, they sent you some of the draft boards as well. You know, are the draft boards as hot as that TB12 shirt you got rocking right now? <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, I already told the commissioner of my auction league that uh, I got them covered when it comes to the draft board this year. I uh, got a spot for you to write the auction values too. So covers all that. And, uh, like John said, we're up. It, it finally feels like we're getting pretty close to football season. And uh, tomorrow, check out fan tracks because I'll have my updated top 200 redraft PPR rankings out. Now, in in their kits, they have a new system where you can hand out draft cards. So when you come up, you give it to the commissioner in the podium. You know, and if I'm going up for the 101, I might just pick the guy we got on our show tonight. You know, I want to welcome to the show one of the premier names out there in the fantasy industry. You know, just fantasy senior fantasy writer at CBS Sports, one of the OGs, the original guys that just I, I remember watching you when one of my first podcasts when I really got into to fantasy football. And that's Dave Richard. How you doing today? Uh, I'm feeling old. Is how I'm feeling to be <laughs> honest with you after that introduction. But uh, I appreciate it. It's great to hang out with you youngsters and to. Uh, be chilling. I know that's a cool word that all the that all the the, the cool kids say these days. We're chilling, yo. There you uh, go. No, but seriously, like the Scott Fishbowl is coming up. I know that you want to talk strategy about it. I'd love to talk strategy because I've done exactly one mock. I've got the 101 in the KISS division. It's a tough Ooh. division. Uh, one of the real, real OGs in fantasy, Scott Engel, who's been a friend of mine for over 20 years, is in the same division as I am. It was it was uh, coincidental that we ended up in the same division. Uh, and then Alex Dunlop from Roto World and uh, I think Lauren Joffrey is her name uh, from the football NFL spin zone. Like there, it is a packed division. It is going to be a tough draft. I'm blessed to have the 101. And I don't know who I'm going to take between Harrison Butker and Emmanuel Sanders. Guys, give me a hand on what I should do with the pick. You know it's all about them kickers this year, man. There's nothing sexier yeah. than drafting kickers. I keep seeing guys making videos. You know, the the idea of Scott Fishbowl is just grown and grown. I mean, and, yeah. and it's just 
you know, this will be my third year. And every year it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. You know, guys making videos, doing like parody videos of songs and talking about kickers. And it's just a fantastic, you know, event to be about. Um, John, why don't you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what you're thinking with Scott Fishbowl and a little bit of the, the early draft. I mean, you and I were talking strategy for months mm -hmm. here, you know, as soon as we got into it and we both picked the same draft area. Yeah, and I, Dave, I might have a couple of questions for you on this too, but it, sure. it's so much fun to be a part of this, Scott Fishbowl, and he's been doing it for quite a while now. Definitely everybody should should give back. I think that's a big part of it is doing a lot of good in the process, having fun. I don't think there's a single event that brings together the fantasy community more than the Scott Fishbowl. So it, it's a blast to be a part of. And Dave, I'm with you. I got some cutthroat kind of analysts in my division too. I'm in the Nirvana division, pick eight. And so I've been trying to size this up a little bit. Um, and, and before I jump into it, I wanted to make you feel a little bit better. We're, we're all kind of the older crowd here. You, you know, I throw around the chill and stuff like that. I'm, I'm a dad. We got dynasty dad. We've all been doing it yeah. for a little while. I, I was going to compare us to like the Houston Texans backfield. Like we're, we're, we're the veterans out here now. Only Dave, you're going to be a, like a future hall of famer um, wow. type, type running back in, in my mind. But um. Yeah, so with, with, with Scott Fishbowl, uh, I, I actually love having the eight spot because of the third round reversal this year. And I, I don't know um, what you think about this, but it feels like being super flex and some of the positional scarcity with running back that focusing on QBs and running backs in the early rounds might be the right way to go. Um, outside of Harrison Butker, of course. What yes. what's your thought on that? Is that is that you feel like that's the right approach? Well, I, I'm a little biased that I hate the third round reversal because I've got the one on one. So I've got yeah. so I've got that great first pick. I can get anybody I want, and it, I don't think I'm going to take Butker or Emmanuel Sanders. It's going to come down to McCaffrey or Mahomes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've, I've, the Kelsey's kind of fun to think about, mm -hmm. but I think if if I really wanted to get one of those stud tight ends, I think I got a shot at getting one of them at 24. Right. Which is a pick I still have as the last pick in round two. Mm -hmm. But that damn third round reversal. <laughs> man, that's a that's a kick in the ass because now I don't have twenty five to go with right, it. Right. I gotta wait until thirty six before I get my mm -hmm. third pick on the team. So when I did my mock, and, and this isn't for you because you're picking eighth, it's gonna work out better for you because of the third round reversal. But when I did the mock, I got McCaffrey, I took McCaffrey first. Mm-hmm. And then I took Najee Harris at the end of round two. Okay. I felt a lot better constructing my team having two running backs yeah. on the roster. I you you guys know me. I, mm -hmm. I love running backs. I think that they're the most important position in fantasy football. When you want to make a trade, they're the best currency around. When you want to score a ton of fantasy points, they're the ones that touch the ball the most. Literally. When you talk about 15 touches per game, I mean quarterbacks technically touch it more and they throw it more but they don't get points at necessary. They're on their own plateau. They can score more points usually than a running back, but they all do. It's not just the top of the quarterback group. And I know the running backs come out of the woodwork every year, and I know that we're playing 17 games, and we're going to have committee after committee after committee at running back this season. But if I can, if I can lace up two running backs that mm -hmm. have 1,500 total yard, 10 touchdown potential, along with the ability – to rack up numbers as both receivers and first down getters, I, I'm going for that. 
because I know that there's going to be other people in my division. They'll gravitate toward quarterback earlier. They'll take one of the tight ends to get those double up points on first downs and catches. And it'll, it'll allow me to at least say when I'm up at 36 overall and 37 overall, I guess I should throw that mm-hmm. in. Too. I mean, that's the consolation. Right. And I guess right, that's right. all right. Um, Hey, I, I, I think I, I can, I know I can find two good wide receivers there. I know I can find, I think I'll be able to find a top 10 quarterback there if I wanted to. And I think I will. I know I can find a top 10 tight end, uh, maybe even a top six tight end. So it, it'll work out a little bit better, I think, if I go running back with the first two picks from the 101. And if I don't do it, what's left for me at running back when I'm up at 36 and 37? I might have to, you know, thank my lucky yeah. stars if it's Miles Sanders. Right. It just who, doesn't feel, who, it just doesn't feel the same. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you right. get those running backs and then you you mix in a quarterback that you know can get that way. But then when you wait till the third to try to find a running back like that, like that positional scarcity, you know, and when I was saying that you were one of the first person people that I listened to, I meant that as like a privilege. Like honestly, I've I've looked up to what you do and I always go running back, running back, you know, and that's something Thank where yeah. my first year in Scott Fish, Double I tap. finished I finished in the top 12 by going that way. And then the next year I kind of got cute and I'm like, I'm just trying to pick all the, all the guys that are, you know, home run threats, you know, and then at eight, John and I have talked, I mean, I'm really looking, trying to go running back, running back and get one of my guys we're going to talk about here in bold takes is potentially Jalen Hurts in the third, you know, someone that's big, big upside, you know, high risk, high reward, and then, you know, try to get a safe guy in there. Mung, why don't you round us out here? I know you're in a different draft slot. Talk to us a little bit about what you've got going on. I think you guys are just trying to uh, steal my ideas here. I might have to play close to the vest. But uh, now I picked the 109 yeah. spot, so similar train of thought as you guys with that third-round reversal. And plus, I think you know at the 109 and the 204, you're basically guaranteed one of those top seven or eight quarterbacks, uh, a top five running back, or one of the two or three elite tight ends if you so choose. So. I'm going to kind of stay flexible. Um, I actually, I I was talking about this in the 109 chat that I haven't done any mock drafts. And that's because I did a few last year and I've come to realize that with such a large population, you know, your specific division is going to draft very differently from any of the mocks that you've done, right? The odds of that ADP really lining up is low. So I don't want to go in with any expectations. I just want to look at my projections and kind of get the guys that I want um, and not worry about ADP and whether these guys are values or not because the scoring's so weird and, you know, the, the sample size is so large that it's just impossible to predict how these drafts are going to go. So, you know, kind of the moral of the story to any draft is be flexible during the draft, and I think that really hits home for Scott Fishbowl. Do you think it would help you guys to make a top 30 list to take in with you? Because you're guaranteed three top 30 players because yeah. of the third round reversal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like yeah. I think that that's yeah. what you've got to do Absolutely. going into your draft. If you're picking late in round one and say it's eight through twelve, you've got to make a top thirty list going into your fishbowl mm-hmm. draft. And you can stick to it if you want to, but sort out which players are the top thirty and then, you know, fine tune it based on what you think is best for the fishbowl. So that's great See, advice. That's, that's yeah, the wisdom that. we need here. Exactly. Hey, I, the other, I, the other, oh, go yeah. ahead, John. Go ahead. Man. Well, I just, I, so I, I have a big question here too. I mean, with Scott Fishbowl, there's so many, like you said, Mung, it's just so broad, such a deep pool of people. It seems to me like you do need to kind of go big, go home. That's the theme of tonight going bold. Dave, I mean, any, any bold 
picks that you are considering making, you know, one that I'm playing around with as an example is, and I'd like to get your thought on this is if Aaron Rodgers is still there for me, it'd be the two Oh five coming back. Would you consider doing that? It's obviously high risk, but I believe he was second overall in Scott Fishbowl 10 scoring. Um, that could have a big payoff as an example. Um, what do you think about that? Or have you thought about any other kind of bold strategies for this year? Uh, my bold strategies are, are going to be wait on tight end. That's going to be the first one that mm-hmm. I'm going to do. And and okay. the other one's going to be wait on wide receiver. I'm, I yeah. think that I think most fishbowl divisions will not take wide receiver seriously. And so if I kind of disrespect that position for, mm-hmm. you know, well, I was going to say once in my life, but let's face it, I've been drafting running backs like crazy. I've been disrespecting wide receivers for a while. Um, I, I think that's two thing, two ways I'm going to go about it. I'm going to prioritize running backs and quarterbacks. I'm not going to pass up any insane values of wide receiver. Don't get me wrong. But the tight ends that I'm looking for, and I did this in the fishbowl last year, and it worked out mostly well for me, was waiting a little bit on tight end and then just bang, 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 going after guys I like. That would be like, round 10 plus picks in a regular draft, but they would be more like round eight ish, nine ish picks in the fishbowl. And then all the way on down, like I'm, I'm not going to be opposed to taking Eric Ebron or Jared cook. And I, you know, there's reasons to take those guys on top of the hotter names. Like Adam Trotman is a guy I'm a big fan of. I think he has a big year. Uh, Irv Smith, the comments made by Mike Zimmer aren't slowing me down just yet. Johnu Smith, who I was a big fan of last year, I think he's got a chance to be big again this year, even though he's on a different team. So those are probably going to be two two ways that I go, and I don't know how bold that is. Sometimes bold can be stupid. But uh, taking Aaron Rodgers at the 205, I wouldn't classify that as stupid. We know that Rodgers has the potential to be amazing. It's just a matter of are we sure we're going to get that guy again in 2021 when he was so kind of eh in 2019 and prior to 2019, he had a lot of seasons that were just okay. He had some games that were great, of course, but to expect him to keep plugging away like he is without major additions to this passing game, it it makes it a little bit risky with Rodgers. I still like him as a top 12 quarterback. Um, I believe I have him eighth in my rankings. I have a hard time putting Hurts ahead of him, but I get why people do it. If if he's the best available quarterback at 205 and you want to get a great quarterback on your team, there's no faulting you for taking Aaron Rodgers. But to take him ahead of Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, uh, any of the other big six, like Dak, yeah. like mm-hmm. I, I, I can't do that. I can't vouch right. for that. I'm with you on that one too. Yeah. yeah. No, thanks. That's That's very helpful. Appreciate that. Dave, I know you got an opportunity, just like we did, to give away a spot into the Scott Fishbowl. You know, and I, I think we all remember the first time that we got our invite, and we, you know, it was like Christmas. You got all excited and yeah. you know, text your buddies and everything like that. So I got a little bit of a story, and then I want to talk to you about yours. So we're in one of the guys, like we we had, you know, over a hundred entries, and and one of the guys that was in um, our listener league. His name's Commissioner Breeze. You know, back in the day, he gave me his phone number. He's like, "You ever need anything? Just call me." You know, like, and I never did, right? And we're just like, we've always talked on Twitter and things like that. And uh, he won. We did like a giant giveaway. And I, I looked up his phone number and I call him and I call up and he goes, dad, is that you? And I was <laughs> like, it was just, you know, like, I was like, yeah, what's I like, I, I couldn't even remember his real name. I was like, yeah, Commissioner Breeze, congratulations. You know, it's just like, <laughs> like, if it, if it wasn't me, it would have been the most awkward conversation in his life. You know, hello, dad, is, is that you? Mm-hmm. 
you know, but uh, tell us a little bit about your situation with that. I know you guys were able to give one away as well. We were, uh, we, we gave them away through our YouTube channels. Um, people had to come watch our videos, fantasy football today on YouTube. And, uh, they commented on a video and they'd put their Twitter name and it was drawn at random. And, uh, guys joined us. We gave away spots in our specific divisions as well. Yeah. So one guy got a spot who's in the kiss division that I'm in. And so it, again, just thinking about how big the fishbowl is, I'll tell you a story that's actually become very embarrassing for me. It's one I regret <laughs> a lot. When the fishbowl started before it grew to what it is today, um, it, it wasn't huge. It, it, it was, it was big in terms of amount of people that were playing in it. There were a lot of people playing in it, but it wasn't like there were, um, thousands of people. It was more like hundreds of people. And, you know, the past few years I've done great in the fishbowl, but in this specific year, and I'm, this has to be over five years ago. Uh, I, I didn't take it seriously. Didn't set my lineup, uh, kind of bailed on it. And I got, I got called out for it and I felt terrible for it. His name was Leo P. He goes by, his name is Leo P. His Twitter handle is Siga C I G A underscore F. You guys know who it is. Yeah. He called me out on it. He said, you're doing the wrong thing here, Dave. I thought you were better than this, that you finish your leagues. And, you know, I, I play in 20 leagues every year. This is one that isn't for high stakes or anything like that. And so my, my, my reaction at the time was, well, I'll just make a donation. It's not that big of a deal. And then it kind of dawned on me, this is a big deal. People care about this thing a lot. And so every year I've tried really hard. I haven't missed setting my lineup in any of the leagues that I played in for fishbowl. And I've been rewarded by making the playoffs every year. And I think two years ago, I was nice. like, I made it to like the second to last week. Like I was really psyched for it. Mm-hmm. And so once a year I check in with Leo and let him know that he's still the reason why I, <laughs> I fight hard and play hard in, in fishbowl. And I'm, I'm thrilled with how it's grown. And, and I'm glad that I learned a lesson from it, which is you should take your league seriously. When you agree to play in a fantasy league, of course you should take your league seriously, but especially the fishbowl when there's, uh, you know, right. lots of bragging rights, Oh, on yeah. the line, and it's for such a great cause. Yeah, great and we can, all, we can all wear a singlet like Stompy and get out there and really show it off. I have Gary Harrow <laughs> who won two years ago. He's in my division. So let's jump into tonight's topic. You know, we've like I'm loving this this debate here. But what we want to talk about is hot takes. You know, people absolutely love hot takes. I read your article, you know, along with the other guys over at, at CBS, and we started talking about. Let's do our hot take episode. You know, this is my third year doing these and 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 Mung and John, they're, they're excited to get into there. So let's just jump right into it. We're going to talk about your favorite position first, Dave. We're going to talk about running backs. And you have a, a, a hot take here on a guy that a lot of the fantasy community, especially last year, was all about. And you're a little bit more down on him this year. Who? Which one are we talking about? Josh Jacobs. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a nightmare year for Jacobs. It's Think about what's happened to the Vegas offensive line since last year ended. Three-fifths of the starting unit gone. They were replaced by guys who were anywhere from inexperienced rookie that was a surprise first-round pick to underwhelming veteran. I'm nervous about that offensive line. Then they also bring in Kenyon Drake, and they start talking up Kenyon Drake's ability to catch passes, which he didn't do a lot of in Arizona last year, but he did it a lot with Miami in years prior. He can do that. And he's a north-south runner. He had a better goal-to-go conversion rate last year in Arizona than Josh Jacobs had with Las Vegas. And I I just I have this feeling that the Vegas coaching staff is tired of Jacobs being hurt, playing hurt, not being effective. 
and just not being able to be a three-down player. I don't think they trust him as a pass catcher. That's evident. He's been below three targets per game his entire career. I think they're going to use Drake a little bit more and Jacobs a little bit less. And you, you throw on top of that a schedule that's a nightmare for them. Tough schedule. Their division is full of tough defenses, and, and I believe Denver's defense is going to be great. Kansas City's front seven is going to be tough to run against. When you, when you add that to the offensive line woes, I think Jacobs is going to be in for a rough year. I wouldn't take him until at least round four. I promise you I'm not going to take him in the fishbowl. Someone else in all the drafts that I'm in will gravitate toward Jacobs. They'll get to take him as an RB2, but they better hope he scores double-digit touchdowns again because that's the only way he comes close to doing what he did last year. Mung, you got to love the sound of that. You know, that's echoing what you've been saying for months. Yeah, I mean, the the offensive line and lack of receiving usage issues are pretty apparent with Jacobs, I would think. So, John, we're going to move to you next. And like I said, like when I was at Dynasty Refinery, my first hot take was Joe Mixon's going to be a top five running back. That was two years ago. Then last year, you know, when it was just the Dynasty Dad Pod, I'm like, I'm not going to go quite as bold. I'm going to say Joe Mixon's top six. And then you go and you you tug at my heartstrings here. You know, he does this to us every year. We're like, Joe Mixon's going to be a bust. And then all of a sudden we get closer to the season. We're like, it's Joe Mixon season, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I know as soon as I go over this hot take here, I'm going to start getting a lot of messages and DMs from you guys because so many of you have been burned. But look, I, I'm, I'm going to say that Joe Mixon finally does come through for his fantasy managers this year. I'm going to say – he gets somewhere between 320 to maybe even as many as 350 touches, over 1,500 yards. And I think he finishes inside the top six running backs in PPR. And, and look, again, I know that people have been burned. He, he's had some fluky injuries, but he is, he's got basically no competition there. there. There's a handful of guys, no major threat. So first and foremost, I think he's going to be – a true workhorse in Cincinnati. I don't think there's any questioning on that piece. His coaches have already said they don't want to take him off the field. Partially it's because they know who they've got in the running back room. But just remember that Joe Mixon is truly talented. He's an outstanding pass catcher and he's playing in his best offense that he's ever had. You got Joey B, you got Chase Higgins and Boyd. I think we're going to come back to some of those guys here in the show. He's going to get all the red zone looks. So uh, I, you know, I think that in between the tackles, he's going to help them move the ball. I, I don't think there's any question with the kind of workload he's getting. He's going to go over a thousand yards. I could see 50 plus catches as well. And so here's the thing. If you look at ADP, he's actually much more of a bargain this year because of those uh, painful seasons that he's had over the past couple. But when he has played, remember, he has been running back one in the past. So I don't think this has to be that bold. And I'm feeling pretty good about it. How do you feel about his offensive line and what they've done yeah. to try and improve it this offseason? Yeah. And, and, you know, also worth noting there, Dave, that they, they've also brought in a new offensive line coach, uh, running game coach as well, Mung. Um, I think I even saw you post about that. You know, I, I am a little worried about it. I think that what everyone kind of wanted to see have happen is Cincinnati take an offensive lineman with its, with that top five overall pick. That probably would have been a smarter move in many ways, and they went with the splashy pick with Jamar Chase. That made um, the quarterback happy. Yeah, they, they did. That's exactly what they did. Uh, I You know, I think that um, 
from what I've read up on Dave, and, and you tell me what you're you're thinking here is that they're kind of building an offense to get the ball out quick with um, Burrow. They don't want to see him go down again. They did um, improve it in certain areas and should be okay if as, as long as that offense can keep the ball moving. Uh, I could see uh, Burrow having to dump off to to mix in periodically. You know, Geo's no longer in town, so. It seems like a good recipe, but what what do you think? Is that a, a pretty big concern for Mixon in your mind? Well, I'm working on a project right now where I'm looking at the the results of the running backs when they played against stacked boxes versus yeah. lighter boxes. Mm-hmm. So when you think of a stacked box, it's eight or more defenders in the box. They're really focused on stopping the run. How do running backs do there? Versus when the defense is expecting maybe more of a pass, that's their mindset on on, right. a, on a given play. There are six or fewer. Now, when you think about, well, if a running back is going to play against six or fewer defenders in the box, he should be very efficient. Last year, Joe Mixon averaged 3.9 yards per carry against six in the box. That worries me, especially when you can look Mm -hmm. to other running backs. Like Aaron Jones was at 4.83. Adrian Peterson was at 4.81. Just throwing carry on Johnson. Mm. 4.71, 4.71, and those are small sample sizes, a bigger sample size. Kenyon Drake was at 4.6. So to see Mixon below four yards per carry, my guess is that's because not of his talent, but because his offensive line was just so poor last year. Yeah. yeah. Let's open it up to exactly seven defenders in the box. It was actually better. It was 4.35 yards per carry, and that was on uh, 49 carries. So 27 carries with six or fewer defenders in the box, 49 with exactly seven. And then, of course, mm-hmm. you, you would probably expect it to be a nightmare when he's facing eight in the box. Because yeah. if his offensive line can't help him when there's only six in the box, and now you're putting even Not more good. guys down there, it's going to be harder with 2.53 yards per carry. So what did they do? They brought in Riley Reef to play right tackle. I think that's going to help Burrow more mm-hmm. than it helped Mixon. I'm curious to see mm-hmm. how this rookie offensive lineman, Carmen, does. He's a big right. guy, played at Clemson, I believe. Um I might evolve into their left tackle someday, but I think he starts at guard. If he plays better than expected, that's obviously going to help Joe Mixon. That'll help that run game going. But the key to me is him mm-hmm. picking up work in the passing game. If he can yeah. be more of a third down or forget third down, just a passing downs back right. for right. Cincinnati. That, that's what they, they failed to do that. They, like they kind of dip their toe into the water of throwing to Joe Mixon which is more than we can say about Tennessee's coaching staff with Derrick Henry. At least they mm-hmm. dip their toe in the water with Mixon each of the last two years, but they really should have cannonballed into the deep end of that pool. Yeah, and just thrown like crazy to Mixon. And I think they, maybe they painted themselves into a corner here, but I think they've got to do that now. Mm-hmm. And it makes so much sense when you think about how defenses now have to play Cincinnati. How many times is Joe Mixon going to see eight in the box when they've got Chase and Higgins and Boyd? It's Spot gonna. It, it's not gonna yeah. be that yeah. often. I think that should help Mixon's efficiency approve. But man, they can scheme up some great things for him as a pass catcher. So that's what I'm hanging my hat on with Mixon. I'm okay with him as an early second round pick in fantasy drafts, uh, and and I think he does have a shot to get fifteen hundred total yards. I think he can get there. Does he have the upside for two thousand? I'm thinking he can't get there. I think it would have to be a really special year for Mixon mm-hmm. and maybe not a great year for Burrow unless they throw to him like crazy. Like maybe they do take that cannonball into yeah. the pool. And now we're talking about 70 catches for Mixon. That would be outstanding. That could help him get to that 2,000 yard mark, provided that he stays healthy. Good stuff. Speaking of that, that same area, you know, John, you tugged at my heartstrings. I'm going to come at yours. You know, every <laughs> single episode you talk about Antonio okay. Gibson. 
He is a guy now. You know, sometimes Dave, you'll have to keep me in check here because okay. my dynasty. <laughs> well, I like mind, Gibson a lot know? too. I like Gibson. I've been a fan I, of his for a while. I I own him on most of my squads. I love Antonio Gibson. You know, I was able to you know make a lot of trades in the off season. And my bold prediction, you know, now this is going to come out like super hot right off the bat. You know, we got to get it. It's 101 degrees heat index in Pennsylvania right now, so this is kind of <laughs> even hotter than that. But Antonio Gibson is going to break out to the tune of 1,800 scrimmage yards being our RB1 in 2021. I know that's hot, but if you look at his 4.7 yards per carry with only 170 carries last year, they say Ron Rivera's committed to getting him involved, getting him more involved in the offense, getting him more carries, getting him more involved in the passing game. If we get that up to 250 carries, you know, if we get anywhere near that range, that's just 1,200 rushing yards. You know, the man can run the ball. When the ball's in his hands, amazing things happen. And, you know, let's not forget, he was a wide receiver in college. You know, he was a you know he running back, but he played mostly wide receiver. And McKissick isn't likely for another 110 reception season, you know, 110 targets, I should say. You know, so if anything happens outside where McKissick falls off, I see Antonio Gibson being a rock solid RB1 this season. Am I way too bullish here? Is this my dynasty mind? Or how you feel on Antonio Gibson this year, Dave? I think there's a more likely chance that he gets to 1,800 total yards than Joe Mixon gets to 1,800 total yards. I think that the door is open for him. He was already a pretty, maybe not a very efficient running back, but okay, he wasn't bad as a rookie last year. Uh, the touchdowns really carried him a long way, but you read the reports on him about how he's learning the nuance of the running back position, his technique when he runs, how he uses the offensive line, how he can hesitate a little bit more, run a little bit closer to the offensive line, not just lean on his athleticism, but actually think while he runs. Man, that's that's the stuff that makes great running backs, and I think that we could see that from him after a season where I got the note right in front of me, only four games with more than 14 carries. So let's see him get to that 250 carry mark, 250 divided by 17. I don't know what that is, but it's got to be – a you know, at least 14 a game. Let's get into 15 or 16 per game, but let's get those catches up. Why not use an explosive player like that who you know has a track record of catching the football? Why not use him more in the passing game? And I think we started to see that a little bit toward the end of last season. Yeah. What I'm curious about is how defenses are going to approach this offense with Ryan Fitzpatrick under center. Mm -hmm. I'm a little worried that we could see defenses maybe play a little bit more defenders in the box against Washington and not that he was terrible at it. His, his numbers were great against light boxes His against eight in the box here. I'll get to you. This information is not on the site yet. So, and you tell me if this means anything to you or not, maybe you guys don't give a damn, but 4.2, 4.24 yards per carry against eight or more men in the box. That's on 42 okay. carries. That was about a quarter of his carries last season. And it was actually a better average than how he did against seven in the box. That was 3.68. And of course, six against six or fewer in the box, 5.6 yards per carry. That's a number that I like a lot. The Love more it. Washington can do to make defenses think, all right, Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to, you know, bombs away on us, the better it'll be for Gibson running between the gaps. But they have to use him more in the passing game. And that's another team they need to they need to really embrace that cannonball. and i think they will another cannonball is necessary for gibson to get close to that 1800 total yard mark otherwise i think we'll be lucky to say 1400 total yards if he's only catching 35 passes or so but his efficiency has room to grow the touchdowns might regress a little bit but they might not i mean they they loved using him near the goal line. And yeah. unlike running backs on other teams, I don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to call his number very often. Curtis Samuel might steal one or two touchdowns from inside the five, 
But I think Gibson could be in line to have one of those big seasons for sure. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love it. And- I love it too. You know, you, you, Mike, I mean, I, ha- I have to get my quote in on Antonio Gibson. And I, I thought we agreed I was going to lead the hype train here. Um, but <laughs> we, we I, can Dave, share it. <laughs> all right. Well, Dave, I agree with you. And I, what I've been reading up on, it, the, some other keys with Gibson, is the pass protection is really getting better. He's really starting to get the nuances there. He's running better routes as well. And I think when you – when you put those things together, it does mean he's going to be on the on the field more on third downs. He's just going to get mixed into the passing game a lot more often. And the offense itself could be a lot better with Fitzmagic running it. So I, I think that it's in the realm of possibility at, at top five. And you know how much I love it, Mike. So, Dave, I got to ask you, you know, your, your buddy Heath Cummings over there at CBS, you know, his thing was DeAndre Swift will be a top five running back. In PPR this season, if you had to choose between Mixon, Gibson, and Swift, Swift third, is it? He's all third. Right. He's okay, third. all right, we're vibing here. There yeah, we go. I, I mean, I, I like I like the talent a lot. Uh, I'm worried about whether or not his rushing numbers can help keep can help buoy his stats and his stature in fantasy because I think the Lions are going to be playing from behind quite a bit. There's a lot to like about Swift, though. It's it's this isn't to slight him. I just like Gibson and Mixon a lot more. I think Swift can profile closer to Austin Eckler than Jamal Williams can. And Eckler was the primary back in LA. Anthony Lynn, now the coach or the offensive coordinator in Detroit. And I've talked with Lynn about r- using running backs before. And one of the things that he loves to do with his running backs is create something he calls extended runs. And that's just basically throwing to your running back in space near the, near the sideline. So it's, it's think of a handoff, but with like plastic man extending his hand and his arm 30 yards to give the ball to the running back. And you think about that offensive line in Detroit. And we poo-pooed the Bengals offensive line. And honestly, Washington's offensive line isn't exactly a monster unit either. But Detroit's got a lot of beef on that O-line. And so if they can get into games where they're just running it, Swift can get some numbers that way. And if they're trailing, I don't think it's going to be much of Jamal Williams. He might get a pass here or there go his way. But Swift is better suited to help collect those dump-off passes from Jared Goff. I think 70 catches is in range for Swift. I think 1,500 total yards is possibly in range too. I'm nervous about the touchdowns. And, and if I'm wrong on the catches, and if the yardage isn't quite there, then he's going to be a big, big, big whiff. So I don't think that he should be anywhere near a top 10 list at running back in PPR. And he's, he's nowhere near even top 15 in non-PPR. But those catches can help salvage his value to make him a, a nice number two fantasy running back. Now we got a coach who's talking about you know biting guys in the kneecap when we're talking about Johnson. We're, let's let's move over to a guy who's biting some value in the kneecap right here. Mung, you got two guys that are perennial top five. You know they've been, and you say there's no chance this year. Yeah, and I think our conversation about Mixon is pretty. Uh, it, it leads us perfectly into this point because I have Mixon ranked just over Alvin Kamara and Derrick Henry, who I do not think are going to finish as top five running backs this year. And look, I still have them ranked in that back end RB one range, so I'm not like out on them. But I've yet to see a draft where they don't go in that top five or six overall. So this pretty much means I'm going to have you know basically zero shares of these guys and. My thought process is that Alvin Kamara's production has been so reliant on receiving production, 
right? 2019, he had 97 targets, which was fifth among all running backs. And that year, Breeze was the fifth lowest in average intended air yards per throw. And then last year, 107 targets, which was second among running backs. And again, Breeze was the third lowest in average intended air yards per throw. So yeah, Sean Payton is going to keep involving Kamara as an integral piece of the offense. It's just hard to see that elite ceiling for Kamara, whether it's Winston or Hill under center. I mean, when we last saw Winston in Tampa Bay as a starter, he was the second highest in throwing downfield, uh, polar opposite of Breeze. And then, you know, when we saw Taysom Hill last year, Kamara really didn't get targeted much, just 4.0 targets per game with Hill versus the 8.3 per game he saw with Breeze. So I'm taking guys like Eckler and Mixon over Kamara in 2021. And then we have a similar issue with Derrick Henry. Again, we're talking PPR formats here, right? Um, And long have people held Henry's lack of receiving usage against him, but he's overcome that with incredible production on the ground. Yes, he's a special talent. Yes, I know, Dave, you talk a lot about, you know, not being able to stack the box, especially when you have A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I do think that's going to be offset a little bit by red zone targets when you do have such good receiving talents, right? And Derrick Henry had a career high in catches in 2020 with just 19. That's his career high, right? An insane 378 carries last year. People talk about workload concerns with Zeke and Barkley, but Derrick Henry is the guy that's being run into the ground. And then finally, we get to that defense. Tennessee, 30th and pass defense DVOA last year. They really did nothing this offseason. I just see more shootouts and potentially more Darrington Evans on the field on those passing downs than Derrick Henry. Again, RB1 production is fine. I just don't see the elite ceiling. So Henry was actually the impetus for me diving into this study on stacked boxes because I wanted to see what it meant, how often, what it meant for him when he played against a stack box and how often he saw those stack boxes. And without getting into the details, he was great no matter how many, you could have 12 defenders on the field. Derrick Henry's rushing average was on fire, like north of four and a half yards per carry, even against eight, nine. Uh, when he took on 10 or 11 guys in the box, it was usually at the goal line. It did not end well for the defense on those carries. Uh, the other thing is that he he saw heavy boxes about 50% of the time last year. I went back and I checked over the last three seasons how often the running back in Atlanta, and granted it's not Derrick Henry and it's a different offense, but Julio was there. How often did that offense see eight in the box? And the answer is less than 20% of the time. Defenses really respect Julio Jones. When Julio was playing with Calvin Ridley, you better believe they really respected that pass game 80 plus percent of the time. And so now you're going to take Julio, you're going to put him in Tennessee. AJ Brown's on the other side. Tannehill's been playing great for the last season and a half. I think you're going to see defenses take a step back against Derrick Henry. And that means he's going to have a chance to be unbelievably efficient. Yeah, he's probably not going to catch more than 25 passes, which would be a career high for him, but he can still average north of five and a half yards per carry. And as for the touches, I agree with you that when a running back has 400-plus touches in a season, man, he's ripe for a breakdown. Once upon a time, we all people used to be able to like congregate in big spaces together. I don't know if you guys remember this, because you're young, but it, there used to be a thing called Radio Row during Super Bowl week where players, past and present, 
would mingle with media from all corners of the country. And CBS Sports was there. And Derrick Henry came to our desk, and he was on an episode of Fantasy Football Today with us. And I asked him, he, he had just finished just one year of 400-plus touches. And I asked him, honestly, how are you feeling? How is your body feeling? He looked at me and goes, I feel great. I could play another 16 games. And and I used to, you know, you take a player's response to something like that and say, okay, of course he's going to say something like that. But then he went out there, guys, and he played 16 damn games. <laughs> Yeah, I did. He's and he is he he's he's, he's like a, a linebacker in person. He's yeah, a big strong dude. He is just he is not of this earth. And so, yeah. can he put together three seasons with four hundred plus touches? I believe he can. And the more that the Titans do to manufacture touches for him, where it's not against stacked boxes, he's going to have some monster runs this year. And I disagree. When they get in the red zone, and specifically when they get inside the five, I think they're going to play just like Atlanta played. And they're going to see teams double Julio and do their best with the run. And they're just going to hand off to Derrick Henry. And I think he gets well over 13 touchdowns this year. Uh, and, and I think that if the efficiency really goes in his favor and defenses really stop sacking the box against him, I think his ceiling is beyond 2,000 total yards. I think it's closer to like 2,300 total yards. I think he could have just an all-timer year. Love it. Love it. I love it. You know, John and I were talking last year a lot about in Dynasty, he's one of the most disrespected running backs because of the because of the PPR floor and everybody, the same kind of narrative. And we were buying him everywhere up, you know. And and to Mung's point, right now is the time that you're getting premium value for Alvin Kamara and Derrick Henry, maybe for the last time in Dynasty. In redraft, I'm all about those guys. In Dynasty, you can move on and make some moves where, you know, I've talked about it before where I traded I got Gibson and Jalen Hurts for Kamara. You know, you try to make some moves and try to extrapolate that out. Sure. Let's move. You know, you wrote an article about breakout quarterbacks, you know, and, and love Herbert. that article. I, oh, think, great. I think, I hope you guys learned a couple of things in that article. Great yeah, stuff. I mean, and yeah, you know, you had Lawrence in there, you had Herbert, and then you got Burrow. So I know both of you guys have a similar hot take. You know, I know Dave, you said Tyler Boyd's going to be the Bengals' best PPR wide receiver in that hot take. And Mung's right on the other side saying, Jamar Chase is going to be a top 15 wide receiver. So we'll start with you, Dave. You know, uh, you got a little bit more clout than Mung, even though I love you, Mung. Um, we're saying, you know, who's going to be the guy there and how close are these guys when you're talking about your rankings? The funny thing is, is that I think Mung and I could both be dead wrong. It could end up being T. Higgins is the best guy in that passing game. Um, and it, it might actually make the most sense to say that because Chase is a rookie and th- there will still be a learning curve for him. And if Boyd doesn't play in the slot and keep getting fed those targets, then he's not going to be very helpful in fantasy. And Higgins is pretty damn good, and he's never going to get double teamed. Defenses are going to tilt coverage his way when Chase is there and Boyd is there. So we we both might be swinging and missing on this one. But the, the rationale behind Boyd was because if, if the Bengals are trying to get rid of the ball quickly – and Burrow needs to get rid of the ball because that offensive line is leaky. An easy option is the slot receiver. And Boyd manages that a lot. He's a high-value target for Joe Burrow. He has a high catch rate with Joe Burrow. And I just figure that maybe there's a chance for him to cobble his way up to over 100 catches, over 1,100 yards, and seven touchdowns. And could T. Higgins beat that? I don't know. I don't know if he could. Those are high numbers. And to, to suggest that Tyler Boyd gets that sounds a little crazy. But if if Burrow doesn't have a lot of time to get rid of the football, his target is easily going to be Boyd. And he, I talked about defenses tilting their coverage to Higgins or Chase. 
Well, it's never going to be tilted toward the middle of the field. It'll always be a linebacker or a nickelback or a safety lined up against Boyd. And most of those guys he's going to be able to beat. Mung, talk to me here. You know, we got Jamar Chase. You and I love him. He's been our wide receiver one the whole time out of this rookie class. Talk to me. Yeah, and I, I think it's safe to say that all three of the Bengals wide receivers are going to get plenty of usage here. We saw that Joe Burrow targeted the wide receivers at an insane rate last year, almost 30 targets to wide receivers per game. So we could see a situation where all three see double-digit targets per game on average. Um, for me, it comes down to that fact that they just have that chemistry. And I understand it's been a couple of years. I understand that Chase is a rookie, and sometimes these rookie wide receivers need time to adjust. But it doesn't mean that they can't be productive from the get-go when you're the kind of prospect that Jamar Chase is. Now, some of what Zach Taylor runs in Cincinnati is similar to concepts that Burrow ran at LSU. And on those plays, I mean, who do you think he's going to go to first? Is it going to be, yes, he'll dump it out to, to Tyler Boyd. But I think he knows, <laughs> right, that too. Um, I'm similarly high on Mixon, but... You know, I think he's going to go to Jamar Chase, who was with him in that Heisman season. You know, they know each other. He knows where Chase is going to be on those option routes. And half the battle is getting on the same page, which shouldn't be difficult considering their history. And then you talk about just Chase as a prospect. And I know we've talked a ton during rookie draft season about Chase. So, But, you know, a 99 percentile production profile, insane acceleration. I think it was, what, a 4-3-8-40. Maybe... You know, Higgins or Boyd sees one or two more targets per game, but I still think that Chase is going to be doing the most with those targets. I love it, guys, from both of you. Moving from this year's rookie wide receiver one to last year's rookie wide receiver one, and when you're talking about, you know, dynasty drafts, for me, you guys know I talk about CD Lamb all the time, and I've had AJ Brown as my wide receiver one now, probably longer than anybody when it comes to dynasty. But this year, CD Lamb is going to take over the primary targets in Dallas in route to 1,500-yard season, and become the wide receiver one in Dynasty this time next year in startups. The, the talent is, you know, like the wide receiver one. You know, he's moving up there. We have the guys like Devontae, and they're starting to move out there. C.D. Lamb will be that guy. John, you haven't talked for a while. I know you have something very similar to that, you know, in that same same mold there. Talk to me a little bit about Lamb and a little bit more. Yeah, I you know, I do love me some C.D. Lamb. My my bold take is similar. I think, and, and Dave, you've got the Dallas Cowboys helmet right behind you. I think that there is a scenario where the boys are the number one overall offense for fantasy, and Dak Prescott is the number one overall QB for fantasy. Uh, I don't I don't see a lot of people with that take. I think that that's pretty bold. But uh, Mike, w with the board behind me, I'm going to go ahead and take my Dak Prescott sticker here. Look, look at that sticker. I'm going to drop that's it. I'm going to drop it right here Shameless onto the board there. as my 101. <laughs> uh, and, I, and, and I really think that this is a possible scenario. This offense could be incredible. I think he looks healthy. Every, everything looks good so far, re recovering from that injury. And just because it's been out of sight, out of mind, recency bias, you can still get him uh, you know, after those first few quarterbacks coming off the board. So there is actually some value here. But uh, I think that Look, you got C.D. Lamb, you got Amari Cooper, you got Gallup, Jarwin, Zeke, and Pollard. This offense could just go absolutely wild. I actually think because of their defense, too, we could see a lot of shootouts. I think 
Dak could just end up airing it out. He can still get it done on the ground too. I think there's a scenario where he could end up um, putting up crazy yardage, maybe 40 plus total touchdowns if you, if you include what he gets on the ground. So I'm putting that one out there and I, I got to see if I can get some Dak shares in redraft this year. I love it. Mung, Mung and I have been talking about that, you know, as a dark horse QB1. And I believe in that same article, Dave, I think Jamie Eisenberg said he's got a potential to, you know, break Peyton Manning's passing record. You know, if you take what he's done over the last 17 okay. games, you're okay. looking at almost 5,800 yards. So you got the Cowboys helmet. We're going to give you the floor now. I love the call. It makes me want to take Dak in, in the fishbowl. Uh, just look at 2019, nice. for example. Yeah. In 2019, he averaged 23 and a half fantasy points per game. That's six point for passing touchdown leagues. That was fifth best among quarterbacks that year. Mm-hmm. Still wouldn't have registered quite as high this past year, but forget about that because he averaged 29.6 fantasy points per game in the right. five games that he played in yeah. in 2020. So what's changed in Dallas? Do you really think that this is an offense that's suddenly going to go conservative just because Dak had the, the broken ankle? and they're going to hand off to Zeke and Tony Pollard 35 times per game, I don't think they can. I don't think their defense can let them. I don't think no. their defense is very good. The schedule's tough for Dak. I don't care because you said it. It's the shootouts. The fact right. that they're going to be in so many high-scoring games. They're not going to win a lot of games 21-17. to 17. They're, they're going to yes, win sir. or lose a lot of games that are in the 30s. They're going to put up a lot of points. He's going to be a yards machine. One of the best values that you can draft is Dak Prescott. The question is... How does his QB1 ceiling realistically rank against all the other quarterbacks that are ranked ahead of him? The Mahomes, Josh Allen, Kyler, Lamar Jackson. Honestly, I think that's it. I think those are the four quarterbacks that are ahead of Dak. Mm -hmm. And I think you can make a case for any of them, including Dak, to be the number one quarterback in fantasy this year. And so what I love to do in my redraft is I, I used to say, wait, wait on quarterback. Wait until he feels like you're getting a steal. And then when, when you can't believe the quarterback that's left at a certain point in the draft where your eyes are popping out of your head because it's so unbelievable, um, that's when you take the quarterback. It's not like that anymore. I want to get one of those elite quarterbacks, but I want to get one at a value that is at least a little bit better than fair to an outright steal. That's what mm-hmm. I'm looking for. So if I see Dak Prescott available in my super flex leagues in round two, in my single quarterback redraft leagues in round five or six, you better believe I'm jumping on that. It's crazy good value. Now, I don't know how many leagues are going to be actually like that out there where Dak slides that far, but make no mistake, there will be fantasy managers who disqualify Dak off their teams because he missed most of last year with the injury, right? because he's a Dallas Cowboy and people just hate the Cowboys, <laughs> or both of those stupid reasons. And and let them let them miss out. Let them go and take other quarterbacks earlier. Let them wait to go get Matt Ryan in round 13, good for you. Uh, Dak Prescott is a guy who's going to be an amazing value this year. He's someone who's on my list in every draft I'm in. So you, you're a Cowboys fan. No, I'm, I'm, not. I'm not. Oh, a Cowboys not fan. Just got the, I'm an Eagles fan. Okay. And uh, my hot take, same, we, we already referenced Jamie Eisenberg. He said top five for Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. I said top eight. I wasn't quite hot enough. <laughs> I, in that article you wrote, I mean – Talk to us a little bit about Jalen Hurts. Like he's when when I'm in a super flex, you know, startup draft right now, he's a guy that I'm trying to get, you know, I'm trying to take one of them stable quarterbacks in the early rounds and then mm-hmm. get him as a high upside QB two. You know, I never feel comfortable right now with Jalen Hurts as my QB one on a team, but if he's my QB two in a super flex, that's how winning is done to me. I think so. I think that's how you take the chance on winning, and that's what you're doing on your draft is you you, you don't want to 
you know, take somebody that's not going to be exciting and doesn't have the upside. Jalen clearly has the upside. We saw it last year, 24.3 fantasy points per game in his four starts. Some of those games were just outrageous, the numbers that he put up. And so I, I, I think you've got to draft him as a top eight or nine quarterback in one quarterback redraft leagues, knowing that you can draft another quarterback later on. That That's when you go and you get Matt Ryan, or you do a little better than that, maybe get Matt Stafford or somebody of that ilk. Um, to be your QB2 just in case Jalen Hurts doesn't make it as the QB1. But that breakout article that you referenced earlier, I found hallmarks that make a quarterback jump from the first from a, their rookie year or whatever, their average year, to a breakout year. What are those things that a quarterback needs? Number one, they need to improve their intermediate passing accuracy. We're talking about passes that are that finish between 10 and 19 yards. So little short passes, every quarterback can complete those, even Jalen Hurts. And deep passes, some quarterbacks are better at those than others. It's those passes in the middle. That's where you want to see improvement. And Jalen Hurts really wasn't terrible at those passes last year, but they just got Devontae Smith. And Devontae Smith is a master at really running anywhere on the field, but certainly between 10 and 19 yards. He will be there for Jalen Hurts when Hurts needs to throw that ball. And Hurts, he might be off target a little more than your typical NFL quarterback, but Smith can make up for that because he's a technician with his feet. He's got a good catch radius for a guy his size. He's six feet tall. I think he can end up being good. That's one factor. Two is an improved receiving core. We've already talked about that with Devontae Smith being there. I also think Rager can take a step. Goddard's going to be a reliable short area target for him. Though That also matters. Pass protection also matters a lot. Hertz was pressured a ton last year. That offensive line in Philadelphia was a mess. Everybody's healthy. They're coming back. They even added a rookie in Landon Dickerson. Dickerson as an is a is it Dickerson or Dickinson? I think it's Dickerson. I've I've said that word too much lately. I don't want to get you guys, it's you know, R rated. <laughs> in, in, he's a good interior offensive lineman. He provides depth for them. I think the pieces are in place for Jalen Hurts to take that breakout step. And could he be a top five quarterback? Now you're talking about him finishing better than one of Mahomes, Allen, Kyler, Lamar Jackson, or Dak. I don't see that. But a top eight quarterback, I think that's definitely um, something that should happen given the personnel around Jalen Hurts. He just has to be a little bit better. He just has to be a little bit better as a passer. And I think he can get there because he's got all those – all those hallmarks, like I said, in place that can help him uh, become a better stat producer for fantasy. I love it. I always try to keep our guests to about an hour. So the next thing I, w- I want to reference another article you did is obviously your top five ro- or 50 rookies, you know, in, in PPR. Some of the guys like Mung, Mung's been huge. He went on vacation with Trey Lance. He loves Trey Lance. You know, <laughs> that's his guy. Mung, hit him up with your hot take. And let's talk about these rookie quarterbacks because I know John's got some things to say as well. Yeah, I'll keep it short, uh, but I think it's a perfect segue because Dave just talked about the reasons that we can project Jalen Hurts for success in his sophomore year, and I think a lot of that carries over to Trey Lance in San Francisco, right? His ADP is buried right now because of the uncertainty that Jimmy Garoppolo could start half the season. And to that point, you know, I say it's Jimmy Garoppolo. We've seen what he is at this point. How long do you think Shanahan's sticking with Garoppolo this year, right? couple games, a few interceptions. To me, Trey Lance is a top five fantasy quarterback as soon as he steps on that field, right? We talked about those factors for success. San Francisco has a top 10 offensive line. 
right? We've seen Trey Lance be amazing in flashes. He's been inconsistent in college, even during that breakout season. But it doesn't matter so much when you have yards after the catch weapons like George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, a healthy Debo Samuel, right, coming off a full year now to recover from that foot injury. And then you throw in Trey Lance's rushing upside, which is the same reason that we're enamored with Jalen Hurts. This is a guy who ran for 1,100 yards in a year. We saw that RG3 was the number one fantasy quarterback as a rookie in Washington. And now we're in that age of Konami code quarterbacks where there are more rushing quarterbacks. So I don't know that we're necessarily going to see Lance, you know, clearly separate himself from some of these amazing top five guys. But I think he enters that conversation as soon as he becomes a starter. We made some of our some of our hot takes were uh, a little personal. You know, Mung's board's coming (laughs) here and it's going to have Trey Lance and CEH on it. You know that he's been the guy on Trey Lance and he's turned me around on it. You know, I think somewhere and we've talked Scott Fish. One of these five rookie quarterbacks is going to win somebody the Scott Fishbowl because they're going to be those guys that take over and they all have some serious upside. John, how quick do you think these guys start? Yeah, and this is actually leads me to one of my bold takes. And again, Scott Fishbowl, you do need to be bold with some of these picks if you if you want to really get deep into the playoffs. And so my bold take is that all five of the first round quarterbacks that were drafted will be starting by week five of the season. Hmm. And look, we already have Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. We know they're going to be day one starters. We're already here, starting to hear some noise uh, again about Trey Lance. You just went through it, Mung, but also now – McCorkle Jones is already going head to head with Cam Newton. It is. I got to stick with it. Um, But he's already given Cam like a true competition. Um, Cam, his arm still looks like it may have fallen off. I'm not sure it's recovered. I think that Bill Belichick wants to win. That last season kind of stung. So you could convince yourself that we might actually see Mac Jones starting there. And then Justin Fields. Look, I mean, how long is the red rifle going to gonna hold out there in Chicago? I think Matt Nagy, I mean, who really knows what they're going to do there? But I really think that they're going to want to see Fields out on the field doing his thing and, and really mixing it up. I don't think they have a whole lot to lose at some point in Chicago. So, you know, a bit bold, but I think we could we could see it. And imagine getting those quarterbacks late, whether it's a redraft or Scott Fishbowl, and the payoff could be pretty big. Speaking of guys that can pay off, you know, mine was it's not all that bold, but that Najee Harris is going to get over 275 touches and be a borderline RB1. And Chris, I mean, Dave, you actually took him as your second round pick, you know, in Scott Fishbowl. And you see the upside there with Najee Harris. The other guy I want to talk about is, again, from that article that we're referencing, uh, Chris Tower. It was his article said Kyle Pitts is going to break every rookie tight end record. You know, you're looking at that's Keith Jackson from 1988 with 81 receptions. And yes, I was seven then, but I still remember it because I was an Eagles fan. You know, 894 yards. Mung's like, what year is that? Like 1988, you know, like anyways, uh, 894 receiving yards from Jeremy Shockey and 10 touchdowns from Gronk. Dave, if you ever want to get roasted on Twitter, you just say Kyle Pitts isn't the greatest tight end ever. Mm. You know, like all you got to do, you put he's he's number six this year in your rankings and people are going to roast you. Talk to me a little bit about Kyle Pitts. I mean, we've always said it takes longer for the tight end, you know, to to come around. You know, it's year two, year three. Is he just going to play wide receiver or are we like, is this fool's gold we're chasing thinking he's going to be this elite right off the bat? No, first things first, think of him as a wide receiver. Because I don't see him being used as a blocker 
uh, especially outside of rundown plays when all receivers are you know assigned to block on those plays but when it's a passing down Kyle Pitts will not be left on the offensive line to help chip a defender so that Matt Ryan has an extra second to throw he's going to be running a route he he compares physically to Calvin Johnson they are very close in terms of height and weight but there's one difference Calvin Johnson, I believe, had nine and a half inch hands. Kyle Pitts has 10 and three eighths inch hands. He's got massive cloppers. <laughs> and, and I think that's only going to help him catch those 50-50 balls. They're going to be more like 60-40 balls for him. And defenses are going to have a hard time with him because he's such a matchup nightmare. He's going to outrun linebackers. He's going to out physical safeties. Uh, maybe he starts getting some tough double teams and opens things up for Calvin Ridley in that offense. But he's also somebody who could be just a big-time factor in the red zone. We know that the Falcons' offense is going to change this year. I don't know if they've got a great solution at running back in, in short yardage situations. So we could see Kyle Pitts get some targets that Julio Jones wished that he could have had back when he was playing in Atlanta. The idea of taking him ahead of Hawkinson or Mark Andrews still feels a little risky to me. But it doesn't matter how I feel. There's going to be somebody in every single draft, including every single division of the Scott Fishbowl, that will see Kyle Pitts as the tight end that you take where you draft him close to his upside, hoping that he comes through and maybe even finishes as a top three fantasy tight end. Someone's going to take him early. He's going to end up being a round three or round four pick, not just in Fishbowl, but in a bunch of redrafts around the country and around the world because people want to have him. They want to take a chance on that upside. Because if he does come through, even if he comes through for 70 catches, 800 yards, and seven touchdowns, man, that's great from a tight end. You'd love to have that on your team. And he, he's he got the potential to deliver it. He, I, I use this line in the magazine that's on newsstands now. Pitts averaged a touchdown every 3.6 catches in college. No way he does that in the NFL. But would it surprise you if he had a touchdown every 6.3 catches? In the National Football League as a rookie, I, I could see it happening. I could see him being a very big playmaker very soon for the Falcons. I'm just not there with those people that just have to have him on their fantasy team. I would still rather take what feels safer with TJ Hawkinson being a target hog in Detroit and Mark Andrews continuing to do what he's been doing in Baltimore. I love it. You know, Dave, this has been fantastic having you on the show. I mean, we could. We're, we know your time is precious. We can keep you on for hours. Uh, not like you want to, but John and Mug, do you have any more questions before we let him, uh, you know, talk about what he has going on here and, and really tell everybody where they can find his work? No, I, I've been like taking notes over here, Dave. This has been really good stuff. Again, you got the wisdom coming in. Uh, and I appreciate that is really, uh, again, in, in my mind, just one of the guys that's always been around, a staple in the industry. So it was really enjoyable hearing from you and definitely wish you the best in Scott Fishbowl. Uh, I'll kind of keep keep track of what's going on with you and and uh, definitely going to jump into some of these articles that you put out. Um, I, I did put a thread out on ADP. I think that it's really important now, whether it's Scott Fishbowl or a dynasty startup or redraft, to take a look at some of the trends. And I actually went back and looked at points per game from last season and looked at major ADP shifts during the offseason to establish, number one, some really big values, but also some red flags, like some guys that have shot up that may not be able to really justify it. So take a look at that. 
And uh, again, good luck, everyone, in the Scott Fishbowl. And Mung, we'll let you anything you're working on here before we close it out. Yeah, no, just uh, it's been great talking to Dave about all this stuff. We'll uh, agree to disagree on Henry, but the ceiling is certainly there. I might put an MVP bet on Henry just in case you are 100% correct that he shatters those expectations. Um, but yeah, I mean, you guys can find my updated redraft rankings tomorrow on Fantrax. And of course, on Twitter, I'm at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. Yeah, and like I said, Dave, it's been a pleasure. I mean, I've been reading those articles. I've been reading your articles for years. And like those last couple just blew my mind. There was so much good content on there. I'm so glad you came on here and shared some of that. If you guys, why don't you tell everybody, you know, what you have working on and, and where they can find you? Well, what I'm working on is trying to find an argument against Mung for Alvin Kamara, but I might end up working against him. We didn't really talk about Kamara and, and what could end up happening to him this year. And that's one that I definitely have to spend some time on. But uh, I've been knee deep in this project about running backs versus stack boxes and trying to see what I can learn about it. See if I can come to some conclusions like I did on Derrick Henry and maybe even apply it to Joe Mixon. Because if, if defenses are going to respect the pass in Cincinnati, it should mean really good things for Mixon. I just wish he was more efficient against lighter boxes last year. But you'll find that content on CBSSports.com. Our podcast is called Fantasy Football Today. You can download it wherever you download the Smash Accept podcast. And uh, if, if you're ever looking for fantasy content, just Google Dave Richard Fantasy and click my archive. Like it, it goes to every single one of my stories. My projected strength of schedule stories is on there. The quarterback, quarterback breakout story that I've referenced in our talk today, that's on there too. And you can always see me on CBS Sports HQ. It's the free 24-7 streaming sports news and smart analysis channel. It's, you're basically watching TV with sports highlights and, and very, very smart takes, betting advice, fantasy advice. And it's always on. It's always free. It's always a click away on CBSSportsHQ.com or on the free CBS Sports app. Thanks again for tuning in, guys, and enjoy the process. I can't say trust.